All right, good to worship with you all. And uh, so, um, you know, it's just so nice. We had a wonderful worship service in our first service, and uh, I know this will be a, a great time as well. Um, uh, today uh, is a kind of a special day, right? It's uh, Valentine's Day. Some people are really excited about it. Uh, most of us aren't too excited about it, um, but there's a few of you who are really excited about it. But anyways, it's, uh, it's one of those days. You know, dates are very important, right? Dates help us to remember uh, important things of the past. It keeps us grounded. It helps us to remember uh, what was in the past and um, what the significance of it is. And we like to keep dates. Some of you, um, you know, might be or were dating and, you know, or you might know friends who are dating and the girl is like a date keeper, you know, like what's today, we should celebrate today and the guy has no idea, you know, oh, today is our four and a half month anniversary, you know, whatever it is. And we, we have that and we have people like that. And, um, but dates are important and there are trivial things that are important things and birthdays and anniversaries or um, even on a serious note, there might be dates that we remember, the passing of a loved one and you spend that day going to visit. Uh, their graveside or whatever it is, but um, um, you know, I think a date. Since I, I have more dates now, I'm trying to remember, and I start forgetting these dates, and uh, it's often difficult, um, like anniversaries and kids' birthdays, and sometimes I, I don't even remember like how old I am. You know, you forget those things, right? And, uh, um, and maybe you think you know. And I ask people at church sometimes, and I put them on the spot, um, like like Pastor Sam. When's your anniversary? Do you know your anniversary? Real quick, real quick. Oh, that was really slow. Wow. Wow, that was, uh, hey, the month. You got the month. That's great. I was going to ask your wife's birthday, but I'm just going to stop there. I'm just going to stop. Um, yeah, no, no, I don't want We don't need to hear that. It's okay now. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, hey, you know what? That's close enough, you know? Um, so don't feel so bad, right? You might have a date that you keep in mind um, that is important to you, right? I'm just uh, teasing with Pastor Sam there. Uh, um, but... You know, you think about this, and we get to this section where it's the 10th plague, and it's the, uh, what they call the Passover. And if you've been in the church, you've heard of this. Uh, you're familiar somewhat with the story. Um, and in chapter you know, 10, 11, 12, all the way to 13, there's this whole story of the Passover that we see here. Um, something interesting about this is that it's not just the Passover story, but there's a big chunk of it that tells Moses and the leaders to remember the meal, the Passover meal, to remember the feast of the unleavened bread, to remember those things. It's kind of interesting. It's not so much, oh, this took place, that took place, but in the middle of it, really a big teaching on this is make sure you remember this. Make sure you take on this meal so you can remember this. Uh, the dates are so important, and it's, it's there to help us to remember. Today we see from the story of the Passover um, we ought to remember what happened. We ought to always look back to our spiritual heritage and remember what happened. You know, our spiritual heritage goes all the way to Exodus chapter uh, 10, 11, 12, what we are reading today. It goes all the way back there. We ought to remember the significance of why we do what we do, why we gather like this. And so we're going to take a look at that. You know, we're going to look back together. Um, and I want to challenge us to, to look back with fondness, with a, a clear memory, and then to look forward uh, and, and share that faith with those who are coming alongside of us. You know, it's Martin Luther King Jr. who said that we are not makers of history. We are made by history. We are made by history, he says. Right? 
Uh, you think about this. It's our history has made us, has formed us. And so we want to look back. It's very important. Uh, the Passover story goes, it's the, the last of the ten plagues. The last is that God is going to now kill the firstborn males of the Egyptians, of even the poor, of the, even the cattle. And there was going to be this plague of death. And the, those who would obey God, those who would sacrifice a lamb and they would put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and on the lintel on the top, which is the top part of the doorpost, and the, the angel of death or the destroyer would come and then pass over that house. And so there would be salvation. So we call it the Passover. Right? Um, and so we're going to look at some of the main components of this story. Uh, what is important here? First of all, uh, we see that there is the lamb involved. If you read the Bible, the story of this animal is mentioned over and over. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, the victory of the lamb. We see this, this allusion to the lamb. What is a lamb? What, what does it mean here? Why do we have the lamb? Um, chapter 12, verse 5 and 6, and I want you to have your Bible, your phones, or whatever open to chapter 12. We're gonna, we didn't read all of it, but we are going to look at the beginning parts and uh, flip back and forth a little bit. Chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So they're going to now kill a lamb. And it's not any lamb. It is without blemish, it tells us, first of all. The lamb is without blemish. Uh, Historians and commentators will talk about the lamb being without blemish. How do you get a lamb without blemish? You would have to keep it in your house. It was kind of like an indoor pet. You know, we have a little dog. You know, our little dog stays within the house most of the time unless she's with us. We watch out for her. She's clean and kept and so on. And that's the same idea with a lamb that is without blemish. So you don't let this lamb go and hang out with the rest of the other animals. You don't want it to get dirty. You don't want it to get um, infected with some disease. You don't want it to get attacked. You want it to keep it pure and clean. And so you would keep this animal within your house. And you would take care of this animal. So you could imagine how difficult this is. This is the baby lamb. This is like their indoor pet. And God says, you're going to take one. You're going to keep it. You're going to keep it without blemish. And you're going to now offer it. You're going to kill this lamb. It's, um, it's interesting, right? It tells us that it's a, a male, a year old, right? It's the idea of uh, this lamb taking the place of Something else, right? The, the death of the firstborn males that's going to happen. This was going to go now and take the place of. It's going to be the exchange of. And so we see this idea already. And, and those of us who have been in the church, we see immediate the parallels. Right? Jesus Christ who takes my place, who dies in my place. And we see that happening here. It also tells us in Exodus twelve forty six. Um, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall, take, <clears throat> you shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones, it tells us. Don't break the bones. Um, later, when you get to the Gospels, when Jesus is crucified, one of the things that uh, is mentioned in John 19.36 is that for these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Quote, not one of his bones will be broken. And they quote, so John is quoting Psalm 34. That not one of the bones of uh, Jesus would be broken. The Lamb of God would not be broken. And you see the parallels here. Uh, when they would crucify someone, it was 
uh, part of the protocol to break the legs of the person they were crucifying, just in case they were to be revived and they would be able to somehow get away or whatever it was. And that would be one of the final things that they would do. But for some reason, that Jesus, that didn't happen to. And it's not just coincidence. Uh, it's not that he made it happen in a way. He was on the cross. But really, it's the fulfillment of all this prophecy. And so when we now um, look back on Exodus and we see the Passover story, we're starting to see all of these things just parallel with Christ, the Lamb, and so on. Um, the Lamb of God is mentioned all over the Bible. In, in, in Genesis, you know, you get Abraham taking Isaac to, to go and offer a, a, a sacrifice. And his son asks Abraham, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham, with faith, says, God will provide the sacrifice. And there was a ram in the thicket that they are able to sacrifice. Um, Isaiah the prophet describes the coming Messiah to be like a sheep being led to its shears. You know, it's, it's going on this way. And obviously, John the Baptist calls Jesus Christ the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. So all through the Bible, you see this theme of the Lamb. And so this is a part of that. This is something that is done that will now help us to look forward to the one who is going to be called the Lamb of God. Um, a substitution for the death of us, right? Uh, the second component of this Passover story we see is the meal, right? The meal, it's going to be the lamb that's cooked over fire. It's going to have bitter herbs on it, and it's going to have bread, unleavened bread, bread without yeast put in, bread that is not rising, but bread that is like a flat, hard bread, and how they ought to take this. And so this meal, the Passover meal, the feast of the unleavened bread that, that, that goes now for the week, they're going to keep this every year. But it's instituted here, um, and we'll see why those ingredients are mentioned there. Uh, chapter 12, back to Exodus 7 and 8. Uh, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house uh, in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted in the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. It's interesting. So this is not a, a barbecue. This is not something they are to, okay, let's enjoy this meal and have a good time. But they take something perfectly good and they say, make it bitter. The word bitter is used there. It's only used one more time in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 1, uh, verse 14, where it describes the life that they had as the slaves of the Egyptians and Pharaoh. It says in 1.14 that their lives are bitter with hard service. And so when they put the bitter herbs on their food, you can imagine the kids that come in. What's for dinner? And kids, this is not a meal you're going to enjoy. This is a moment we get together to remember the bitterness of our past. And so they would eat this, and it would be hard to swallow. It wasn't something that they enjoyed. And he says, eat this flesh, eat this bread. And they would share this meal, and it would be bitter. And then the bread didn't have yeast in it. Uh, most of our bread that we eat is kind of fluffy and soft and nice, but it would be like a very flat bread. It, the idea of this, why this happens, is so that you would remember you, you had to leave in haste. You didn't have time. You didn't have leisure to put yeast and watch it rise overnight and then to cook it. You had to cook it and eat it and run away. Right? Uh, chapter 12, verse 11, this is the manner, right? In this manner you shall eat it. 
with your belt fastened, your sandals to your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So, even the bread here, he says to fasten your belt, your sandals, keep it on. The idea is you're going to have a little bit of time to get away, to leave Egypt. It's going to be a quick, uh, rushed event. And so the idea is you don't even have time. You're not supposed to be leisure, uh, eating this leisurely. You're eating this in haste. The whole meal, this tradition, this ritual that they were doing now, is all to point back to that one point in history when they received freedom. Go back. Remember what happened. Um, And he tells them to eat it in this way. And what happens here is the destroyer comes that night after midnight and now takes the life of every uh, firstborn male. It says this in chapter 11, verse 4 and 5, just a little description here. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. What we see here, and some have asked, well, why does he do this? Why take life? Why does God do this? I think we have to understand, when it comes to life and death, he, God is the Lord of life and death. So it is not unfair for God to take life. It is not unfair for God to give life. This is who God is. This is what is due to him. This is who he is. And we have to understand that. I mean, on a personal level, when we lose a loved one, it hurts, and we often go to God, why, why did this happen, this is too early, and so on. But in the big scheme of things, if God is the God of life and death, and he decides when we're born and when we go, it's his, it's his own decisions. And so he takes them in this way. One of the things we want to highlight here, um, that this was not an ethnic thing. This was not just for the uh, ethnic Jews or the Israelites who were going to receive this. Because if they were going to receive it simply by their own ethnicity, you wouldn't have to put the blood. Um, the destroyer would come. It's not like they, the destroyer said, oh, that is a sign. Okay, that helps me. No, you wouldn't have to do that. But the only way to receive life in this way, to have it pass over you, was through the blood. You know, uh, Peter ends in his commentary on Psalms says this, The destroyer's mission was blind to ethnic distinctions. Had an Israelite family not painted its dory with the lamb's blood, the destroyer would have killed the firstborn of that household. It was on the basis of the blood. It's interesting, right? Because in Hebrews 11.28, it tells us that Moses kept the faith, and because by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood. It wasn't because of his heritage or ethnic background or his mom's faith or whatever. It was by the blood. And we want to get that very clear, that the people of God was recognized, even here, not by their ancestors or whatnot, but by the blood. And and so we look at this, and we say, wow, he came to do this. And another part uh, that we want to be reminded of is, why did he come and kill, and why did this happen? And we talked about this last week, week, and I want to just touch upon it briefly is the idea that uh, God is in a, was in the spiritual battle 
you know, Pharaoh himself was considered a god, and there were gods of all these things that the plagues were coming for. And um, it says here in Exodus 12:12, 12, 12, um, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike, strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Pharaoh, who says he's a god, the Isis, the god of fertility, uh, all these gods that were within their pantheon. He says, I, I'm going to go execute judgment on all of them. And this was a part of that spiritual battle we see here. right? And it tells us in Exodus 13, 2, consecrate to me all the... So after they leave, he says, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast is mine, they're mine. So... Again, God is saying, they're mine. Um, these are my people. Life and death are in the hand of God. They're mine. Now, this could sound, you know, like a, a seminary lecture. This could sound, um, you know, like a, a commentary. There's a lot of facts here, and we could del- delve into it deeper even. But the, today, on this day, on you know, Valentine's Day in 2016, what do we take away from this? How does this affect me? This seems so ancient, ritualistic. This seems so, uh, you know, just really disconnected from me. What is it, how does this apply to me? And there's a, two things I want to share with us. One is, uh, we must pass down our faith to the next generation, that this has to be key. This was, why is it that God impressed upon Moses and the leaders to take this meal, to remember the Passover? He wants us to teach it to the next generation. Um, we take this, I think, way too lightly. The goal of our children's ministry, the goal of our youth ministry, the goal of you moms and dads is not just to have fun. It's not just to make them successful and smart. But the goal is to pass down the faith. This question is asked here in chapter 12, verse 26. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Why are we doing this? Why are you making it bitter? Why do I have to eat this food? Why do we have to stand and eat it really quick? Why this? You shall say, verse 27, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. You're supposed to explain and teach. So the purpose of the meal was to have now the next generation, when they take it, they ask why. And he's saying, you have to tell them why. You can imagine, as they leave out of now slavery, and they are free, and before they know, after wandering in the wilderness, by the book of Joshua, they enter into the promised land, Canaan. The land of flowing milk and honey. They make it to the land of flowing milk and honey. You can imagine how easy it is for those people and the following generations to forget what had happened, to forget the salvation they received. And just enjoy it. Be experts in honey. Be collectors of milk. Go enjoy myself. Go have a good time. And he says it's in the midst of that. While you have an abundance of what is sweet and what is the fat of the milk, in the midst of that, I want you to have this Passover. I want you to make sure your children remember who I am. How important is it for us to pass down our faith? As, they, as our kids grow up, that they would look back and remember a big part of growing up was this whole thing about faith. Going to church with mom and dad. 
You know, dad praying with me, mom, you know, uh, praying for me. And seeing all of that, the heritage would be passed down. And so we have to now go and do this. This is the purpose. And so when we gather here on church on Sundays, and they ask you, why do we go to church? Just to be frank, you know, a a lot of people and and church experts and so on will tell you this. um, Oh, you know, families will go where kids are happy. And then men will go where their wives are happy. Like, so make sure your kids' ministry and the women really like church. If they really like it, then the guys will come along. And this is really sad. It's a real sad description of what is happening in our culture today. It ought to be the dad and the mom leading the kids to church and to this. But often we say, oh, you know, they liked, you know, they, they had their friends Johnny and Sally go and they, they have a good time. Oh, they, they, they're not having fun anymore, so we're going to go somewhere else. No, it ought to be mom and dad saying, we're going to go, we're going to have worship, and we're going to do this. Um, and, and so I think that is so important. And those of you who teach, I know some of you taught in first service uh, for the crosswalk and preschool and, and first steps and so on, and you're here now. You know, don't take that lightly. You are passing along this faith to the next generation. And we, in our, in our culture today, think it's all about individualistic faith. It's just me believing and that's it. But the Bible talks about feeding the lamb in the whole household. Everyone in the whole household has it. Uh, they're, they're, you know, their neighbor joins them to have it. It's the idea of uh, the whole family. It's me and my house, as Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. That it is the duty of someone else to teach them these things. And so don't take that lightly. If you've been teaching and you have that burden to teach, you know, and you're a little tired, it's okay to be a little tired. Just keep teaching. Make this your life calling. Um, The second thing I think we take away from this is don't take the worship that we have lightly. Um, And we must approach the Lord's table with reverence. You know, what, what is translated from the Passover is now the Lord's Supper that we celebrate once a month. And we're going to do this after the uh, offering today. And I wanted to explain this before we went to it. But don't approach the, the, the things of God lightly, but come with reverence. Um, this, the, you think about the components of the Passover, the lamb, the bread, the blood, and now we jump all the way ahead to, into the Gospels. In, in Luke 22, for example, Jesus is now on Passover. During Passover, he gathers the disciples for the Last Supper that we all know so well. It happens to be on that day. It's the fulfillment of the Passover. Jesus Christ is the Lamb. And then he himself is the bread of life, and he himself is the blood that was shed. And we now consume this. This is a a unique, one-of-a-kind ritual that only Christians keep where we take in. And the early Christians were accused at times of of being cannibals because outsiders heard that they were taking the flesh and the blood um, and they misunderstood it in so many ways. But this is the only place where we come to approach God in this way. I want to read from Luke 22. It says this in verse 15. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this... uh, uh, to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So it happens on Passover. And then verse 19, and he took bread. And when he had given things, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And later on he says, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this, blood, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
And so they take in the Lamb of God. They consume now the bread that represents him, the wine that represents his blood. And so we come and we do this. We look back now to the cross, the culmination of all these things coming together on the cross. The Lamb of God it takes, is a substitute for us, and we find a way out of salvation. He died for us, and it is out of gratitude we come, and we, we do this. And every month we go through this, and if you've been at church, a lot of us have been, it's kind of a routine, you know, what line am I going to get in, you know, and uh, which one's fastest, and you're used to this. But as we approach the table today, as we come to worship today, I want to challenge us, and I want you to, you know, as you drag your kids in, and you bring your friends in, and you come to worship God, you come in and say, this weekly reminder is what is done for me by God, and I want to do this with all my heart. Come to church ready, man. Come to church to sing, to listen, to worship, and come to church and take the communion and the elements and make that part of who you are and walk away blessed. Don't make it a ritual, but make it a life of worship. That's what they did. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to give our offering, and then we're going to have a time of communion. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for the blood that was shed. We thank you, Lord, for... Uh, the Lamb of God that was given for us, and we remember you today. Help us to pass this along to the next generation and the following generation, that they may proclaim your fame to others. And secondly, God, help us to approach the table with much reverence, with joy, being solemn at the same time, with gratitude for all that you've given to us, God. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.